This is the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe, and notifier button so you can be aware whenever a new episode is available. Also, leave a comment and a review. We would really appreciate that. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. I wanted to remind you of our Road to 1,000 Subscribers giveaway that we have going on our YouTube channel. If you subscribe and have a public profile, you'll be entered to win a free RX Smart Gear original jump rope. You'll get to pick the pattern of the handles, the color and weight of the cable, and you'll be getting one of the best-selling, best-performing jump ropes out there. Every time we hit a new century mark with the number of subscribers to our channel, we'll randomly select a new winner. And our friend Dave Newman is going to throw in a little something extra for each winner. So a special thanks to our sponsor, RX Smart Gear, to Dave Newman for being such a great partner, and to you for being a loyal listener. Good luck, and I hope you are our next winner. Um, for everyone that's watching and listening, we've got Phil Mansfield, who is our new friend. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what you've got cooking in the CrossFit game space. Um, but first, I just want to ask you, Phil, you are part of Red Pill Training. Is that still a thing? That is still a thing, yes. Okay. <laughs> very much I feel like Red Pill was one of the very first training camps. We, we hear a lot about, you know, underdogs and mayhem and all these people sort of coming together to train. Um, and I feel like you've been doing this for a very long time. And maybe it's just because we're in North America and we don't sort of see it all the time. And maybe it's bigger in Europe. But I feel like Red Pill has been doing this for a very long time. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Jousey was working with Briggsy when she won the games in 13. Okay. So, so the Joust and I, we co-founded Red Pill together. Um, but but before we got together and banged our heads together, uh, Joust was working sort of with, with Briggs since 2012, I think, or 2012. So it's, yeah, we've been around for a long time. Uh, we don't look that old, but um, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and so you and I met um, at the Rogue Invitational in 2019. And at that point in time, you were training Sarah Sigmund's daughter. She was your athlete, yeah. correct? Um, and I noticed that you took, um, it seemed to me as a, and I was a judge at the time, but it seemed to me that you took a very sort of hands-off approach to coaching her that weekend, at least as an observer, when she was on the field, you were inside sort of watching. It wasn't like you were right there on the field. Um, what was sort of your approach um, with training Sarah in that time in her career um, and in, in that time in your career as a coach? Yeah, well, I think I think my my background was I'm I used to play professional rugby, um, and I I've coached I also coached professional rugby, and and even when I had my team out playing, I was very <clears throat> I was very stand back. Um, I'm not the coach that necessarily stands on the sideline and screams at the players. I believe very much in our processes that we do away from competition, and then I think the chance for where we learn the most is potentially if we're looking at a bigger picture and trying to grow athletes or teams then what they do and what they perform out on the on the on the field or in the CrossFit arena is very much their opportunity to express where we're learning and what we're doing and ultimately I think our job as coaches is to teach athletes to make great decisions um, and they can't make great decisions or you can't see their natural decision making process if you're there shouting telling them and advising them what to do so really a reflection of my job away from competition areas away from yeah away from what we call the playing paddock away from there is is the decisions they make out on the field 
Um, so I like to test myself and my coaching abilities and my communication skills in training with how they perform and how they make decisions in competition. So Phil, there's been a lot of talk lately about um, coaches and athletes not having as much say in the CrossFit space. And especially like coaches, you're back, you're backstage with your athlete and then the event goes on. And by the time you get out there, the crowd is so big, you can't even get to a place where you can see your athlete. So is it a better vantage point to maybe be backstage and watch on TV so you can actually see what your athlete's doing? I found that. I found that. I think uh, coming from coming from other sports like football, you soccer, you call it, we we have video analysis that's live and and we'll very often be in rugby, we'll very often be watching from a TV point from way back up in the stands where you actually get the opportunity to have live video analysis. Um, and it, I think sometimes the CrossFit coverage is if you're working with an athlete, one of the larger athletes, it's better because they're, they're featured all the time. So it's easier to watch that on the television. I think if you're watching some of the, I'm not sure. I think one of the areas CrossFit could work on is inclusivity, actually, of all of the athletes on the CrossFit floor and actually giving them equal coverage. And there it's very difficult to stand back and watch an athlete if they're not in the top 10 in the world uh, or 15 in the world. Um, <laughs> So, so there we will try and find a vantage point, but again, not next to the floor, somewhere up high, somewhere we can sort of observe from a distance. And I like to see how they race. I like to see how they, you know, one of the things Matt Fraser was wonderful at was looking down the lane, seeing where others are, pacing his strategies, deciding when he's going to make the attacks, deciding when he's going to make those psychological moves and again, make great decisions in his racing. So being able to see the entire floor sometimes is really advantageous because there we can see, okay, uh, when do you attack? When do you hold back? When do you just keep the pace? When do you sit in the middle of the pack versus the more technical aspects of the guys when they're in competition of their technique, for example, which you get more from a TV screen. So, so both answers really <laughs> make sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting approach. So you mentioned that you played um, professional rugby. Um, yeah. How did you transfer from our sport, <laughs> you know, from your sport into, into this wild, wacky world? CrossFit. It, it was a it was quite a long journey actually. I played professional rugby, then I uh, I broke my neck, um, so I have had uh, spinal fusion. So I have uh, one vertebrae left. Um, so I have I have a neck that's fused together and and needed to keep fit somehow. Uh, the good thing about rugby is we are very Olympic lifting, very squat, very sort of strength orientated. So all of the sort of that side of training was something that was already part of my my daily life and I, I needed a change and I needed to get out of the gym so I went to uh, Ironman, uh, raced eight Ironman, ran 30 odd marathons, went from 114 kilo rugby player to an 80 kilo triathlete <laughs> which was quite a journey um, and so that sort of gave the endurance aspect of <clears throat> of understanding the physiology of, of the endurance side of things so so it was when I met Jaws. Jaws was working in in CrossFit, uh, and I was mentoring Jaws at the time around 2010, 2011. And I was sort of coming out of the end of my endurance phase, and again looking for a new challenge. CrossFit was there, and and just grabbed me. And working with Jaws was just—he's well, a wonderful person—an opportunity to spend more time with him. So. 
ended up slotting really nicely into CrossFit. The only side of the CrossFit which I missed really was the gymnastic side of things. Uh, we had the Olympic lifting, we had the sort of strength side, we had the endurance side. And then the final side to learn really was the gymnastic side. And, and I think our strength is not even necessarily the individual elements of CrossFit, but just the performance, getting out on the field and actually performing and making it happen on the day and the psychology behind how we race and how we beat the person next to us. Um, I think that's the most important part of all sport, really. And so when you were working with, um, with James, it's James, right? Is his first name? Jazzy? Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. For people that don't know who you're talking about, James Jowsey, um, were you an athlete first or were you always coming in as a coach? Uh, always with a coach, always as a coach. Yeah. I, I, okay. I stopped viewing myself as an athlete when uh, they operated on my neck, unfortunately. <laughs> so I think rugby is my sport. That was what I was. And then for the rest of it, I was a, like a hobby motionist type type guy. So all the marathons and I'm in stuff were they were serious, but I didn't classify myself as an athlete. Now I went into, at the time I was lecturing in anatomy and physiology uh, anyway. So it just seemed a, a natural progression to go from the sort of sports science lectures that I was doing into, into the coaching, into the coaching realms. That was in 2004. Um, I started to do that. Okay. And where were you born, Phil? Uh, London, London, England. Okay. And where do you live now? Now I live in Denmark. Um, so I have a, um, at my place now, we've built a, what the American, you Americans are called a barn gym or a garage gym, or so I converted an outbuilding into, into a gym. So we're, <clears throat> we have like five miles to the nearest shop. Um, and we have no one else around hills, nature, lakes, and it's, it's the, the perfect CrossFit environment, both inside and outside, um, which is wonderful. Are you are you an affiliate? Is it a CrossFit affiliate or just just it a place to train? Should be. It should be. Uh, our lack of organisation. We're actually uh, putting. We're actually trying to put a team together this year, or we have put a team together this year, which is a new step for Red Pill. Um, but uh, our administration skills have been uh, lacking slightly. <laughs> so um, so we have a local affiliate that we train at as well with some wonderful guys there. So we're training there and at my place. So it will be one of the two that will lead the affiliate for the team this year. Right. So you're following the rules, right? You're just, you're, you're getting there in terms of yeah, we testing have to, a team. Yeah, we have to right. the rules. Yeah, 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 exactly. And did I see Phil on your on your website that that you train more than just CrossFit athletes at Red Pill? Yeah, I mean we have <clears throat> we have Olympic Alpine skiers, we have Premier League uh, football players, rugby players, uh, professional cricketers. I don't know if you guys know cricket in America. Um, Heard of it? <laughs> yeah, we are we are we are a sports company rather than a CrossFit company. We are. We, we, we cover multiple sports and, and we like to see ourselves as more consultancy and performance rather than individual uh, and individual sports. So we have, we're fortunate enough, we have a team of six coaches who all have sort of great competencies in different areas and we just match the athletes. Uh, we work closely with agencies on sort of things like athlete contracts and, um, and those sorts of things. So we sort of have that sort of anything outside of the direct skills of the sport so we don't go into football players and tell them how to kick a football better but everything they need for performance wise in terms of mindset or nutrition or injury rehabilitation or strength and conditioning we manage the, that side of their of their of their performances 
do your coaches specialize in those, in those areas, or do you all have a little bit of nutrition mindset, strength and conditioning, things like that? Yeah. I mean, we certainly have uh, specialists or things that people prefer, like Joust is an absolute movement genius, you know, the injuries and knees and backs and shoulders. Joust manages a lot of that program. Um, and then we have, coaches like Cyril who is a uh, who is a fantastic gymnast and works very much on the gymnastic side of the coaching and we have Meg who's a who's who's a still active competitor now and she's brilliant with the sort of motivational mindset and Olympic lifting side of things so yeah we specialize but we we also cross over a lot we spend so much time in each other's company I think what's wonderful about the team is we almost answer the same same the questions for each other so I know what I, my area is, and a lot of the time, my athletes will say, "I'm going to see see Joust, for example," and and then they'll he'll give the answer that I would have given anyway. I mean, we've worked together now for sort of five six years, so even though we're based in different parts, we have uh, we have weekly uh, coach development calls. Uh, so we have a Zoom call Tuesday mornings, Wednesday mornings, where we yeah, where we pick a topic or the guys ask questions about their athletes or their problems, and so we've sort of immersed into one team, if you like, or one person with a sort of collective voice, which is, which is really nice. It's a really nice team to be a part of. So you're like one big married couple. That's it. That's it. Without, without the arguments. (laughs) So where's everyone else based then? You mentioned that you do zoom calls and things like that. So your coaches are spread out. I imagine your athletes are a little bit spread out as well. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, I mean, Chelsea's uh, living in Manchester. I'm in Denmark. Um, we have uh, Theo, who is in the Midlands in England. Uh, we have Meg, who is between the Northern England and Denmark. She's actually living for her athletic side rather than her coaching side. She's living practically two minutes down the road now just for training purposes. So um, we have a couple of guys in London. Um, so we sort of spread out over the UK and then, and then us two here in Denmark. But in terms of athletes, we have athletes from, from New Zealand. We have athletes in the US. We have athletes across Europe, Spain. Um, so we, we have a lot of Cyril's French. So, and he's fluent in Italian and Spanish. So we've also been able to tap into the sort of the market that needs coaching in other languages, which has been, which has been quite big for us, actually, being able to sort of reach out and, and coach and deliver what we do in, in other languages. So Cyril has added the sort of the flair to our, uh, <laughs> the flair to our <laughs> marriage. That's great. What do you think about some of the changes that have happened um, around the sport? So let's first just talk about sort of this new season um, format the semifinals, the quarterfinals and all that. And are you, are you working just with elite athletes or you, do you have some age group folks as well? Yeah. So Meg heads up our age group, um, our age group team. Uh, I think her, she's obviously competing in the elite category. So we think as a conflict of interests there, it could be that she was, well, we didn't want her to be writing training programs for people she's competing against. Um, sure. So she sort of took on the masters and teenagers group. We have, a wonderful teenager who was in her first year of CrossFit, I think was five places for making the games last year. And, and on the other side of it, we have uh, Kelly Marshall, who was third in the 40 to 44 category last year. Uh, we have Maria Gron, who was 12th, I think, at the games last year. So Meg's headed, holding up, heading up the, um, the Masters category. And in that group there, we have a lot of... Uh, 
don't know if what you say, regular, regular CrossFitters, the bread and butter of the sport, really, who are who, who are doing really well and being able to bring sort of our philosophies to the sort of broader public. And Jousey this year released a generic program, which was a big thing for us to do. It was a really mm. big thing for us. It was sort of very much away from our core values of the sort of individualized, nerdy, get into depth with people um, and we still get a load of feedback that it's far too complicated but we we'd rather lose customers than change it <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's the uh, that's the yeah that's the so we cover everybody in CrossFit really okay and so the season this year with quarters and semis um, I guess particularly with the masters have them going from 20 to 10 how is that um, sort of affecting your stable of athletes well I think I think for us, it's we really push the self-discovery uh, repertoire. We really push the, like, I love that CrossFit make it hard for us. Um, I, I embrace that. Um, I think there's a difference between making it hard for someone and communicating well. Um, I'm not sure CrossFit always get that side of things perfectly. But in terms of making it difficult for us and making challenges and making us perform, um, I, always, I always sell it to the athletes or or work with the athletes in terms of that I absolutely love that they change it to 10 people. I think that we could feel that. Um, we could feel that at the games this year, um, that if there's a better service for 10, if there's a better event for 10 people and it's very well, very well managed and very well organized, then, then I would rather that than, than some of the, some of the for, forgotten sides of, of, of the athletes, if, if that makes sense. They, I think, I think it can be like the coverage, for example, is very often you just get the top heat covered or, or what, whatever it may be. If they, if they cross the same, right, we're only going to bring 10, but we're going to cover it properly. We're going to have some commentary on it. We're going to actually give some, some profile on people at home and families can watch that. And I think it's great. Um, I really do. I think it's, um, I think what I struggle with sometimes is to understand the intention behind it. So is it because CrossFit, like, is it a financial decision? Is it because they want to give better coverage or is it because they don't want 10 to 20? Like, it would be nice to, to have sort of some reasoning behind why we've gone down to 10. But but at the end of the day, they set the rules and we we just have to go home, train, work hard and try and fit into that system as best we can. Um, and, and I think we're all used to that we don't get a great deal of communication. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, hopefully that that's changing. And I don't, you know, we've been sort of um, opining on this whole Eric Rosa, you know, moving away from CEO into chairman of the board and the, the departure of Dave Castro. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of the continuity of the games year over year now that he's not, you know, that Dave, who's been sort of front and center and, and pretty much the mastermind behind most of it, albeit realizing an entire team you know, has to be supporting it. Um, what what is what is your take on that for this year? Yeah, I think we. I also come from a very harsh sport. Is in football and rugby where you've got three games, you lose three games as a manager, you get sacked. You know, like mm -hmm. the uh, the sporting world is brutal. Uh, the fact that looking at another way, the fact that Castro has been able to keep his job for so long is is in, in elite sport is a miracle. Uh, there's very few people that sit in that role in. If you look at the average, the average longevity for a CEO of a merchant bank is two and a half years. 
you know, like at the top end of leadership, the top end of management, people don't keep their jobs very long. Uh, we know that if, once you hit that three years, your, your inspiration phase, or you should always be looking for a new job every three years to get something new, to get something stimulus, you know. So, <clears throat> so I think that, of course, when you bring in a business person um, and a CEO and a natural business leader who's used to change of staff every three years, that was a natural from the business world, I think that was a natural, natural progression. Um, I think what can concern me is, is, is Dave does tend to find the fittest very well, Like you can trust him as a coach. You can trust that the open won't be silly. You can trust that there'll be good movements, you know, with love and respect, some of the qualifiers you get, you look at them as a coach and go, okay, we're not going to do them. We're going to pull your athlete out of them because the qualifiers or you go to some of the smaller events and you look at the program and you go, ah, oh, that's just dangerous, you know, or, or I don't want my athlete doing that. You know, you're never going to get that with Dave Kershaw. You know, you're never going to get that through the open. You know, it's going to be well thought through. It's going to be well tested. The time caps are going to be good. The, it's going to be the right weights for the right, for the right rep ranges. And, and they're really important things that, I think are maybe overlooked, um, but are also crucial to the success of it. Because the first time CrossFit release a workout where everybody says, okay, no one can do it, or that flopped, when it's such a big thing like the Open, I think it's enormous, it's enormous pressure to get that workout right or to get those three, those first three workouts right that cover the broad spectrum all the way through to the games. You know, you could always be sure <coughs> that that he'd find the fittest in the end, even if after day one, the, the best runner was on top of the leaderboard or day two, the best lifter was on top of the leaderboard, you know, by the end of the four days or five days of the games, he'd find the fittest because he was good at that. Okay, he had, he had 12 months to plan 17 workouts, so he should have been good at it. You know, he has a whole team to test it and, and, and that, that was his job. And you could just trust that and you could even go into the games whether you liked him or loved, loved him or hated him, compared to, I know there's a lot of mixed opinions there, but you could trust him to deliver, you could trust him to deliver some great programming and find the fittest. I think that's the, I find the very exciting. We're going to get a new take on it, a new programming system and a new way of, of looking at it. You know, a lot of people can say, my athletes, we have a sort of an elite squad of around 40 athletes. And they know if Joust has planned a workout or I've planned a workout, they say, oh, that's got Phil written all over it, or that's got mm. Joust written all over it. And you have, you have programming styles and you have structures that you, that you go with and, and workouts have Dave Castro written all over them. The new guy coming in who's writing them will have his style in them. And I think that's the exciting side. It could be better, but at the same time, it's an enormous responsibility to get right when you're talking about 300,000 people doing the workout. Yeah. Um, is it hard to manage uh, your athletes' emotions around these, some of these changes? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're used to it. Uh, <laughs> I think we, you know, I think, um, I think we work very, very hard on controlling the controllables, all the cliche, right. um, boring mindset sayings that you hear all the time. I think I think I really empower my guys that it's not the result. It really is just about the journey of find of self-discovery of like, I often say I want it to be as hard as possible. Like if you win the games, if you win your event, I want you to win it with everybody else in top shape, no injuries, 
bringing their A game, absolutely going at it, and we beat them because we were better, or they beat us because we were better, you know, or, or we were we were worse. I, I I quite like the I quite like the challenge or the unknown. We it's my experience is it's more of a problem for us as coaches or broadcasters or media than it actually is for the athletes. I think the athletes whatever the system is, turn up Monday morning and need to back squat and need to go for a run and need to hit the pool and they need to do the cleans and they're stretching. I think, I think it's us guys who are managing those programming. Uh, as to, it's our job to pick them for the right time. I think they put, hopefully put a lot of trust in us to make sure if, as the season changes, you know, like last season, we got the peaks wrong. We, we, we weren't, um, we weren't sure the standard for the quarterfinals to the semifinals. We weren't sure how exactly how that was going to run. And all of our athletes were in far too good shape for the quarterfinals. We had really good quarterfinals across the board, especially with the sort of what I call the bubble athletes. You have your elite athletes who are going to make the games or who are going to do well. Um, and then you have your bubble athletes where you're not quite sure. And all of them made the semifinals very, very comfortably. And they were, as a result of that, they sort of, were on a little bit of a dip for the semi-finals and there was a couple of them that didn't perform quite as well as they could have done in the semi-finals because I think we we weren't sure as a coaching unit of how how good you had to be to make the semi-finals what the standard was we have the data now this year for that which is which is cool so this year the sort of periodization model is sort of three four weeks behind where it was last year so we're hoping to sort of drift through the quarterfinals with a little less less intensity and then and peak for peak for the semifinals and see if we can get a couple of them to the games yeah that makes sense um i want to take a, a people back to your instagram because that's sort of one of the one of the main you know media outlets for you phil as a person and back in april of 2019 you wrote a post about the difference between men and women's mental strengths okay yeah. i'm going to refresh your memory a little bit you said that men are are typically more confident, but as a coach, you have to be careful because they could be masking insecurities. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think I work on a the three Fs. I use something called uh, fun, fear, and focus. And when I'm watching any person, male or female, in a, in a sporting environment, I'll, I'll try to see where their dominance is. Um, and I think you would you know the athlete before who is terrified and you know the athlete before who is extremely sort of nerded in the details of where I'm going to go and the focus athlete and then the athlete who's just sort of leaning back and having a bit of fun. And we recognize that in ourselves and in other people. I think what's, um, what's really interesting to try and go further is, is to see how they compensate for those things. So it's all the balance, the perfect or the zone as we call it. Um, and we can measure that hormonally. Um, but the zone, as it's called, you know, where you lose time and you feel wonderful and you just everything's flowing and whether it be reading a book, whether it be playing music or doing sport. And we're always searching for the zone and hormonally, the zone is the perfect balance between the three hormones that are stimulated by fun, fear and focus. And mm -hmm. when you are when you are dominant in one of those three areas, then you have the imbalance in the hormone and that will that will manifest itself and play itself out on the floor with your performances, especially with your heart rate. You see it in their heart rates. Either heart rate's not getting too high enough or staying too low. Um, where that goes slightly wrong is, is that's that's viewing it in its purity. That's viewing it in its in its if you're actually seeing what you're supposed to be seeing from the athlete. But a lot of the time, fear will manifest itself as fun, for example. 
So instead of being quite fearful of going on the floor, instead of saying, I'm scared of this, I'm worried, I'm nervous, you'll see, I don't mind, it's no problem, I've got it all under control, you know, and you'll feel that sort of rebellious, you, maybe if you've got kids, you'll know that sort of, <laughs> that sort of, or sort of almost that teenage, um, that teenage uh, rebelliousness. Angst. Yeah. Yeah, angst, yeah, exactly, and anxiety does manifest, it's just, it's very difficult for a man who, who squats 200 kilos and power cleans 150 kilos to say, I'm scared of this now. Um, and so in, in a lot of cases, you see that, that bravado, um, but it's actually manifesting itself as fear inside them. And unpeeling those layers is one of the most important things we can do for our male athletes. I think, I think males are, I know it for myself, we are expected to be a certain way and we are asked to be a certain way when actually we're just as vulnerable as in, or insecure as everybody else is. But particularly being put out into that CrossFit environment in that sort of shirt off, mask, very, very masculine area, being able, to, being able to show vulnerability is an enormous skill. And it's the athlete I would probably be most frightened of. You know, <laughs> if I was going to a competition, the athlete that actually dared show me their vulnerability would be the athlete I was I was most worried about. And you look at the you look at the great athletes across sports, your Roger Federer's, your Michael Jordan's, the Tiger Woods, I'm fortunate enough to <clears throat> to have studied and 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 listened to Michael Jordan's private coach before. And you know, he he'll describe Jordan as 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 insecure, but insecure in the right way and happy to happy to sort of be open about his insecurities. But when he's on the basketball court, there's no insecurities. But away from that, he's he's terribly insecure as a person. And and those guys have really found ways to deal with and manage their insecurity. And I think that's what I was talking about there with the males is he's helping males. Uh, Nora Olsen, I think I don't I've met him a couple of times, but I don't know him personally. But I think he's great at, at being sort of quite open with himself and quite sort of and quite honest and, and, and open. And I think that's missing from from a lot of men across all sports, not just CrossFit. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's interesting insight. So fear, fun, and focused. So then on the women's side, you um, you purport that they have a higher pain threshold. Um, they're more resilient to volume and they need to understand sort of the why behind what they're doing. Is that more of that focus that of the three Fs that the, that the females tend to sort of exude? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they, <clears throat> I think it was 2000 and, 2002 I just I literally broken my neck I didn't know what to do with my life uh, so I took over a head coach role uh, with the with a premiership women's rugby team and on the Tuesday night I had been working some drills with a, with a men's team and I'd stopped them restarted stopped them restarted stopped them restarted and on Thursday night I did the same session with the girls and the girls just sort of got it straight away and I came home and I remember coming home and phoning my dad and saying to my dad I don't know how to say this, Dad, but it just the girls are easier to coach. <laughs> I think, to be honest, in, in in 21 years of coaching, girls are easier to coach. They are. They're, they're much more susceptible. They're much more open to listen. They're, they're much, without being too general, because, of course, there's some wonderfully coachable guys out there. But the but the girls I've worked with are, are much more coachable than, than the guys are. And I think that's as long as there's a sort of buy-in and a trust to to the coach and the person in front of them, then, then they, 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 the, the focus side of things is very, very dominant with the, with the girls, where, where the guys sort of switch between that, 
what I call that fake fun. It's fear manifesting itself as fun, where the girls are very focused. Um, and yeah, and they and they actually, I think when they're enjoying it, it's because they're actually enjoying it. I think they're quite good at separating those two things. I like that. So, so is it possible for the, the girls to get too focused and having to, and that's out of balance. How do you get them to enjoy some things at times? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's the hardest part of it, isn't it? When you have somebody who is, <clears throat> who is very, very focused. I think we, we work very hard again, going back to your uh, first question of the day about why I stand back from the arena and watch them. It's exactly this. It's, it's, it's what the work we've done on exactly this in the gym and how that manifests itself out on, on the competition floor. And we, we work hard, first of all, is identifying the type of person you are and, and self-understanding. So, you know, um, I've been fortunate enough to do psychotherapy work with uh, drug addicts or alcoholics or addicts in general. And the first thing you have to say is, hi, my name's Phil and I am so-and-so. And it sounds very strange, but I also want my athletes to do that. Hi, I am, I am whoever. And uh, I get to, when, when I get stressed and I get put under pressure, I focus too much and I become too detailed with information and actually the biggest part of it is actually that sort of self-discovery. It's for them to see that themselves. It's not for me to tell them and say, hey, guys, you you need to, uh, you are somebody who focuses too much. It's for them to actually be able to see that themselves. And that can take some time. But once they can see that and we have this, who am I type, I am a person. I use a, a diary, which is I am. And so every time you recognize something in yourself, like I like lasagna, uh, you know, sometimes you're just walking around and you think, I love coffee. You just write it down and I love coffee or I love lasagna or I love beer or I love power cleans or I love uh, whatever it may be. And as you just gradually help them build a picture of themselves, they start to understand. And, and a lot of the time they become too focused when the focus becomes subconscious. When you bring them back to consciousness, they say, oh, yeah, I am that person who who actually focuses too much and I understand that so then from that I can actually bring myself back to consciousness um, and we have sort of small trigger words it might just be strawberries with uh, with some athletes I've got one particular athlete where I use strawberry and I can see them going into their data head mode where they're sort of you know mm. analyzing completely over analyzing anything and I'll just scream from the other side of the gym anybody want any strawberries which sounds very stupid but but it brings them back what we've done, done is we've associated that trigger word with all of the bookwork and the journaling that we've done to bring to think, yeah, okay, that me, that is me being over analytical, just relax with it. And all of the work that we've done through the book then comes back and, and hopefully brings them back to consciousness. And it isn't a process that's a quick process, but but it's a process that really does work. Um, and the goal is, of course, the closer I get to competition and the higher stress I have the younger I become cognitively. So we talk very much with them about cognitive age, that while we're sitting here as adults, um, all in our twenties, that, mm -hmm. are, that are very relaxed and very calm and very, very easy going, we, um, we don't have any pressure on us. As soon as one of you asks me a question that puts pressure on me, that mumbled thinking I have is purely because you're just reducing my cognitive age. Now, if you imagine, it's your first games, you're running out onto the floor, you've got mum, dad, all the fans in the world watching you. 
what we're watching out on the floor isn't a group of 25 to 35 year olds. We're watching cognitively a group of eight to 12 year olds, which is why when you sit at home on your couch and you scream, how did he miss that? Or how has he not scored that? Or how has he not done that? Or how has so-and-so made that decision? You're not shouting at the adult you see, you're shouting at potentially someone who's only cognitively eight years old because of the pressure. If we can have that work done in the gym prior to prior to competition, if we can have that understanding in, in the gym prior to it, I can give them a trigger word, which hopefully sends them on the floor, not as an eight-year-old, but as a 13-year-old, because the 15-year-old will win the event. It won't be the 25-year-old. Um, and even, and I think maybe I'm going to get the wrath of the world saying this, like I had this theory that, that Matt Fraser wasn't actually that fit. I think Matt Fraser just competed as a 30-year-old cognitively and he was competing against people who are 12, 14 years old cognitively. And he was just so good at managing his thought processes in competition under enormous amounts of pressure. He was very fit. But the reason he won and dominated so much, personally, I felt, was because his cognitive age was so so old when he was on the competition floor versus versus everybody else. Um, and I think that's the same for the great sportsmen of the world, the Federers, the, the Jordans, is that they just had a very high cognitive age when they got on the, on the dance floor. And that's what we work as much with as we can on performance. That is super fascinating. Do you, do I recall seeing you guys doing some like math problems after like riding an assault bike and then having an athlete like solve a math problem? Was that you? Yeah, we do it all the time. Yeah, all the so time. So exp explain that. <laughs> I have these mobile whiteboards around the gym. Um, and <clears throat> and so, yeah, the guys, they get going, they're doing their workouts, especially sort of the really ugly cardio pieces where, where cognitive age is, is reduced. So one of the first things we'll do is we'll try to reduce their cognitive age with with exercises they potentially find difficult, exercise they don't like, exercise that are very hard, high heart rate zones. And then as, as you say, yeah, we literally leave maths equations laying around the gym. We don't actually say where they are. I think being able to look up as an athlete, as often as they look up and see the mountains. So being able to look up and look around and be aware of your surroundings and what's going on around you is crucial in every sport. And so being able to one, find that there's a maths equation somewhere in the gym, two, be able to keep your concentration and heart rate at that level, and then three, solve the maths equation. Um, and then we just sort of, yeah, leave them laying around the gym and the first one to shout out the answer, I'll rub it out and then I'll put a new one up. Um, and when there's sort of six or seven of them in the gym, a lot of the time we'll do, we'll do really stupid rep ranges, like 37, 21, 63 uh, mm. and then write exercises really small on the whiteboard and then just let them and then just say right here's your exercise here's your workout go so they actually need to be looking at the board reading the workout seeing what's next whilst they're in and training and working and again it's just all trying to get them back to consciousness and the closer to consciousness they are the higher their cognitive ages and the higher the cognitive ages the, the better they think and make great decisions in their workout so yeah the maths equation during training is very much me <laughs> I want to try that sometime and see how yeah, uh, you know, I am going. I am just going. blown away. Isn't like that this, cool? this was fascinating. Yeah. So, all right. So back to Instagram. So you posted that on April 18th, 2019. Your next post wasn't until October 12th of 2021. What was going on 
in your social media life? Well, what obviously nothing was going on. What was going on with Phil in that sort of two year break, two and a half year break from social? Yeah. Yeah. I still go backwards and forwards with it. I, um, truthfully, truthfully, I think in 20 years time, social media will be the smoking of my mum's generation. Mm. Uh, my mum was pregnant with me. She, um, she went to the doctors and said, I'm very stressed. What should I do? And the doctor said, the best thing you can do is smoke because it will relieve stress and it will, it will, it will fix you. And in the 60s, 70s and 80s, smoking was the answer to, you wanted to lose weight, you should smoke. You know, it was, it was what we did. I think in 2050, we'll look back and go, how did we allow this to happen to our youth the young generation how do we allow social media to have such a dominance and such an addictive dominance in our in our athletes life i'm actually writing a, uh, a thesis at the moment on social media impact for athletes in sport i think the 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 what i observe every day i call them the instagram eyes where they're gone they are completely gone like there's nothing else happening in the world and you can almost feel the young, I mean, I have, I have a daughter as well, and you just feel that they miss their phone. They miss their, they miss being with it. They miss the scrolling. They miss what's happening. I don't think it's even necessarily about likes or comparisons, which is also an ugly side of social media. I think it's more of a, uh, I, I, I can't be on my own. It's a boredom thing. Like I, there's nothing, if I can get 10 minutes to sit in my chair and stare into space and think about the world, it's the best 10 minutes of my day. Um, and so I had a little bit of a sort of almost a very teenage rebellious, it, I can't do social media anymore. I can't have these opinions about it and then be on it myself. Um, mm -hmm. and then I, early on in the year decided that, well, maybe I could make a difference through the social media. Maybe I could start giving some rather than the other way around. I could start giving some positive mental health positive um i'm trying to keep my posts very educational um whether i have one follower or 500 followers i, I don't care i don't look at how many followers i've got i just look at uh, could i could i make a difference potentially for those who are even interested in reading it with some some positivity and try and actually get some be the change i wanted to be rather than just being the stroppy kid that stamps <laughs> his feet in the corner and deletes instagram maybe i could make a difference uh, with it and try and encourage people to take 10 minute break, journal, write good things about themselves, uh, have good self-reflections and other things of that ilk. So, so that was why I came back after many, many months of deliberation <laughs> of, of what I should do. I think it's quite a quite big responsibility. Um, I don't think that's particularly popular uh, opinion, but I, I do genuinely think from, I do genuinely think in, in 20 years time, we'll look back and think as an adult generation, we, we got that very wrong with what we allowed uh, there. So Phil, you think very deeply about the mental health aspect of, of things, life, sport. Where did that come from for you? Yeah, I think, I think that um, my sport was taken away from me uh, through injury. You know, I didn't think of anything else other than uh, I was going to be play rugby for my country and live off of that. And I hadn't, I hadn't considered much else. I'd been okay at school. I'd got some, some good qualifications, but it was 
that was taken away. And I think I found that I grew up in a very elite household. My brother was a wonderful sportsman. My, my dad was a great sportsman. My mum wasn't there. It was just three boys. We were incredibly competitive. It was just, we wouldn't give an inch to each other. And I think I had that incredible elite mindset that you that you only see in in top people. And I think I found I think I found out one day that when suddenly that was all taken away uh, and hit the and hit the lows, the very deep lows of of I can't do my sport anymore. I can't play my sport. I can't do what I've my whole life purpose was removed away from me. Um, and I didn't deal with that particularly well at the time. I took made some very bad decisions and. Um, and I think coming out the other side of that, I, I initially saw I wasn't, I mean, I know of five or six other people um, who have had it a lot worse than I did at the time. And I think I found that we were a group of people who have all had that similar, similar example. My dad always used to say, you know, it was an addiction. It was an addiction that was just taken away from you. Your sport is an addiction. You take the, the CrossFit guys or the sport, the, the footballers or the rugby players, it's our life. We, we wake up in the morning, go to bed thinking about it. You know, we're never off from it because we don't want to be. And then when that's removed from you, it's a tough process. Um, and I think coming out the other side of that, I found that, that I didn't what I wanted to make sure that my athletes had other things in their lives. That, that wasn't, that, that wasn't everything that they needed to be. They could, they could be whole people that had a coffee that went for a beer on a Friday and still win the CrossFit games. You know, it, that is possible. Um, and then on the flip side of it, I also found as a coach that they perform better when you work on their mindset, you actually get better results. So it's quite, it's quite oxymoronic really that actually when you, when you move the, when you remove the absolute elite pressure of everyday life of sort of living the, living it so intensely, when you remove some of that from them and give them some freedom and some enjoyment in what they're doing, they actually perform better anyway. So what they were chasing was very often I say to an athlete, they're just holding on too tight. I think, you know, you know what I mean when I say that they're sort of, they want it too much. They can want to win too much or want to get there far too much. And I found working on their mental health, a way of, reducing that wanting it too much and channeling you know they're maybe using 20 percent of their energy on just wanting it but it doesn't actually go anywhere it doesn't actually manifest itself in anything positive it's just many hours a day of stress and removing that stress and putting it into um putting it into something worthy um actually increases performance anyway so it's sort of a win-win Well, I was just upset when you got off Instagram because that was the only way I could get in touch with you. And I figured you weren't posting for a year. I'm like, well, I'm going to DM him and he's not going to respond because he's not on it. Oh, <laughs> so I welcome back. Like a petulant yep. child, I deleted the app. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and then we bumped into each other at the games, right? And so that was sort of, uh, you know, and that sort of reconnected all. So I was really glad that we were able to talk to you on here. Um, let's talk about some of your athletes that we should be watching. Um, people yeah. are, you know, writing articles and talking about all these athletes that we should be watching. And I feel like maybe you've got some, some diamonds in the rough there that we should know about. Yeah, I think, um, I think we've got, we, we have a few, I think um, one thing I would love to talk about was uh, our coach, Cyril, um, Cyril, okay. who, who took out, we have a mentorship program where we mentor five coaches a year. And Cyril came through our mentorship program and is become our sort of head coach for, for Red Pill. And 
took on his first sort of big athlete, which was Lucy Campbell, who just got fourth at Wadapalooza. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like, sort of that the organic process was Cyril has brought her in, coached her. It's 100% his credit, if you like, but I just think it was just a great story for Red Pill that it's a coach that sort of has come through our system and then has coached for Red Pill and brought Lucy forward. So Lucy's a huge, a huge potential. Um, we have uh, Meg Lovegrove. I think you, you met when we was at the games, we, you mm-hmm. saw her. She's, uh, she's injury-free now for the first time in three years. Um, so she came over to us about 12 months ago um, and there was some fixing to do with knees and backs and all sorts of things but she's starting to look fit which is great so she's a very exciting prospect um, Jousey's obviously deep at work with Briggsy and Emma um, those guys there <laughs> they're doing their thing um, we have on the master side of things we have Kelly Marshall again who's, who's coming through um, and then we have a group of um, Sapphire, Dan, Lucas. Lucas was one spot from qualifying for the games last year in the semifinals. Uh, he did really well. Uh, a Danish girl called Frida, who are the, the sort of team, those four guys from the team who have sort of put themselves, uh, made the decision to try and, you know, get the games experience. I've said to them that, their ambition is the games, but their first their first outing at the games will always be a disaster. There's two, it's such a, it's such a big event, and and you need to peak so well for the semi-finals that you just can't follow that peak on and do well at the games. So your first games is always going to be for the experience, and then we can talk about winning it the second year. Mm-hmm. Um, so so those guys thought, well, they get on well, they're good friends. Why don't we just form a team? and see if we can get that first games experience out of the way as a team and then come back as individuals the year after with all that sort of learning and, and stuff. So they all train, train here every day. Um, so those four have all got huge uh, games potential as individuals uh, next year. Um, who haven't I mentioned? I'm going to be forgetting someone. I'm going to get a message after that's going to say, oh, it's always difficult when you have to name names. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it just means that we'll have to have you back so that you can talk more about some of the stuff that's going on during the season. Um, Really appreciate your time. I think you have such an interesting take on training. Um, It's very unique. And I think our listeners are going to be intrigued by it. Um, If you need anything from us, let us know. We'd love to help you um, promote your athletes and, uh, you know, get everybody on board with that. We do do social media. We have to. It's kind of part of our job, uh, unfortunately, but we try to make it as positive as as we can. And uh, one last thing about your Instagram, you had a post recently that talked about sharing secrets and sort of being vulnerable, sharing secrets. Um, do you have any secrets you'd like to share? Any secrets? Ooh. Do mm. I have any secrets? Uh, they wouldn't be secrets if I shared them, though, would they? <laughs> um, but that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the whole, yeah, exactly. Um, ooh. Maybe a train, maybe there. a training tip, maybe a training tip. That's a secret. Oh, you mean like that? You don't mean you don't. Oh, okay. I was thinking you were wanting me to say I had a beer every night last week. Well, um, that's but... no secret, <laughs> really. <laughs> no, <a> secret, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, yeah. One, one secret then is uh, as a body, you'll be one of two types. You'll be a can't get in or a can't get out. Either you'll have too much mobility or too little mobility. 
If you have too much mobility, don't stretch. You're making it worse. Do strength work. If you have too little mobility, stretch. You need it. Um, and I think that's the, the, big, the big area of CrossFit at the moment. It seems that we're throwing mobility at everybody. Mm. And um, if you can hit the bottom of a squat clean, no problem, or the bottom of a squat, no problem, and you're struggling to get out of it, stretching isn't going to help you. Squatting is. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I like that. I like that. I actually got into some mobility program like three or four years ago and ended up having to have uh, labral hip surgery because I, I yeah. think because of it, because I overstretched for sure. Yeah. So that's great advice. So is that a secret though? Well, not anymore. Not to anyone else. So what about you guys? Do you guys share a secret before we get off then? I'll put you on the spot. Or is that too much to ask? Share a secret. Share, share a secret. It's not easy, is it? Eh? <laughs> no, it isn't. Let's see. Well, I will say this, this is going back to when you were talking about, you had to label, people have to label themselves, you know, hi, my name is whatever, and this is what I do. It reminded me of when people were shaming their dogs and they'd make signs for their dogs and they'd say like, hi, my name is Fido and I shit on the carpet yesterday. And it was like public, public shaming. So mine would be like, hi, my name is Kat and I eat too much Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Like that is, <laughs> that is who I am definitely not a secret but uh but something that i'm willing to admit here um that i that i indulge in too often my secret is that cat and i are not married yes everywhere we go <laughs> everywhere we go people think we're a couple we have significant others that are not each other that are spouses that are that legal, my legal spouses yes we are not that's a good one that was a good one we finally got that out <laughs> Oh, Phil, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, like I said, we like to have repeat guests. So we'll think of some other topics to, to bring up and we'd love to have you back. And any of your athletes, like I said, we're, your guys are always welcome. Yeah, you totally tickled my nerd side. Love yeah, it. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.